Ladies and gentlemen, it is I, Alex Smith, back with another episode of Coming Down the Tracks. Y'all had us down and out. You really did. Landon and I have been busy, haven't been keeping up with it. Y'all are sitting back there just thinking, oh, dang, Landon and Alec, they're really not putting any coming down the tracks. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong because today I'm coming down the tracks. We're on the train tracks, and we got a spring roundup for UGA football. We're going to talk portal. We're going to talk some injuries. We're going to talk about a couple new commits for this 2023 class, a couple of other little news bits, and then my favorite to talk about every spring, G-Day. Great G-Day between the red and the black. So let's go ahead and jump into our spring roundup. First, we'll talk about our portal situation. Don't worry. Don't worry. Georgia's had a lot of guys enter the portal, and a couple of those were key contributors. A couple of them are going to suck to not have next year. I'll come out and say it. But what we typically do, or, you know, I say typically, but this whole portal deal is rather new. So the past year or two, Georgia has been able to load up on guys in May, June, July, while they're seeing a lot of departures in the February, March area. So with that being said, we'll talk about the guys that have already hit the portal. Jalen Johnson, wide receiver, and all these guys that I'm listing now have already declared their landing spot. Jalen Johnson, wide receiver to East Carolina. Amir Speed, defensive back to Michigan State, joining back up with Mel Tucker. That's kind of encouraging to hear. Justin Robinson, wide receiver, transferring to Mississippi State. I think he'll do well there with Will Rogers and that air raid system. Jalen Kimber, transferring to that team down south in Gainesville. That's all we'll say about that. Lavicia Carroll, transferring to South Carolina. Now, remember, Carroll came in as a running back, switched to defensive back at Georgia because of depth concerns. So I'll be interested to see. I imagine he'll be playing running back in Columbia. Latavius Brini, defensive back, going to Arkansas, uh, meeting up with Sam Pittman again. Jermaine Burton, transferring to that team in Tuscaloosa, which... Guys, let's be honest. He's going to go there next year and probably put up 1,250 receiving yards with Bryce Young. You really can't blame him, but at the same time, he went to a team that my favorite team is rivals with. So I think I might just blame him. Owen Condon transferring to SMU, offensive tackle. One of the more recent and shocking developments in the transfer portal, JT Daniels transferring to West Virginia. And so when these guys transfer, whatever site they're listed on, 24-7, on three recruiting, rivals, they will re-rank the recruits as they enter the transfer portal. Interesting note, JT Daniels got bumped down to a three-star. So do with that information what you will. And then a couple of guys have not declared their landing spot yet. That would be Darren Branch, Clay Webb, and Tymon Mitchell, the most recent addition to the transfer list. Now, Amarius Mims entered his name in the portal a couple weeks ago. That was about a week ago, week and a half. Really looked like he was going to transfer out. I mean, I think that he was ready to take on a starting role as an offensive tackle at a Power 5 program. He's from Georgia, from Blackley County, right down the road from me. 
Can't stand those Royals, but I love Mims. And I was really thinking that he was going to end up at Florida State or Miami, but Mims surprised everybody, and he's ended up coming back to Georgia. And I wonder if Mims kind of takes the route of an Evan Neal at Alabama, who his first two years on campus played a lot of offensive guard, then switching to tackle before he entered the draft. So I'm hoping that Mims will get some quality reps this year and that we're not wasting another one of his years because he's a very talented young man and he will be drafted in the probably the top two rounds after when he's eligible. So going into some injuries, we are banged up at the moment, battered and bruised. That's typically how things go about this time. We've got some guys dealing with injuries that are lasting over from last season couple of new injuries have popped up this spring. Arian Smith, he did play in the G-Day game, but was still kind of dealing with a lower leg injury. Brock Bowers did not play, dealing with a shoulder shoulder injury. Darnell Washington still dealing with that lower leg. Tate Ratledge is out with a foot injury. Jacob Hood with an ankle. Griffin Scroggs out with a shoulder. Brian Davis out with quad. Smile Mondon out with shoulder, CJ Madden, Labrum, Tyke Smith, knee, Chad Lindbergh, lower body, Ryland Goad, lower body, Tresman Marshall, knee, CJ Washington, neck injury. Now, if you were listening closely to those players I listed off, we're hurting at middle linebacker and offensive line. So I'd, I expect almost all of those guys to be ready to go by the beginning of the season. Most of them are we're probably healthy enough to go in the G-Day game, but, you know, why risk it? Another not-so-savory note, but I'm going to talk about it simply because this involves Georgia football. Kenny McIntosh was arrested a few days ago on charges of reckless driving and speeding, I believe. From what I've heard, he was going 60 and a 40, and hit another car, no serious injuries were dealt out, but the girl that he hit was taken to the hospital and Kenny McIntosh was arrested. Now, everybody on Twitter is saying, oh, they shouldn't have arrested him, blah, 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 and reckless driving and hitting somebody, yeah, that's probably grounds for being arrested. I hate to say it because I love Kenny Mack, I don't think anything will come of this. He's not going to be booted off the team. He's not going to be suspended for games or anything like that. But that was grounds for an arrest, to be totally honest. Now, like I said, I don't think anything's going to come of it. I wouldn't worry about it, simply just stating what happened. On a more enlightening note, we got a couple of new commits for this 2023 class. Two guys that I'm very excited about, Gabriel Harris, is a four-star edge rusher out of Valdosta, Georgia, went to Valdosta High School, 6'4", 237. He's going to fit in that outside linebacker profile that Georgia has always had and that Kirby loves. Next, we got Justin Rett, a four-star corner, 6'1", 195, out of Bishop Gorman. It's our second guy from Las Vegas. Darnell Washington is also from Las Vegas, so we might be creating a little Georgia to Nevada pipeline there. Very interesting to hear. Georgia now moves up to the number three class in the 2023 recruiting cycle. 
and go ahead and take a wild guess who one and two are because I bet you won't guess it unless you've looked at the rankings recently. Notre Dame at one, USC at two, and Georgia at three. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, Marcus Freeman and Lincoln Riley, both new head coaches at their respective programs. I believe Marcus Freeman might have been a Notre Dame alumni. I could be wrong on that, though. But they both seem to be hitting the trail pretty hard, and we're very interested to see how those two head coaches will do in this upcoming season. Now, let's get to my favorite part of the spring, G-Day. Is red versus black team. I believe the attendance was about 65,000 in Sanford Stadium, which ranked second in all spring games played so far. Oklahoma had a pretty healthy attendance, right around 70,000, but Georgia was far and away uh, number two. So just to get into it a little bit, we'll talk about the quarterbacks. Stetson Bennett was quarterbacking the black team. Carson Beck was quarterbacking the red team. Now, the best way to put it is that the black team offense was kind of your regular starters, guys you could expect to see having taken first snaps against Oregon. And the red defense, kind of your starting defense, red offense, backup offense, black defense, backup defense. So starting with the quarterbacks, Carson Beck played the best out of all four quarterbacks that were showcased at G-Day. Stetson Bennett did not play terrible, but he's still taking unnecessary risks that I don't think he needs to take. Now, again, it's a spring game, and Kirby said that we were going to work on the explosive passing game. We're going to throw the ball a lot. It was not going to be our run-heavy offense that we're very used to. So Stetson Bennett, at the end of the first half, threw for 197, three touchdowns and an interception. He was below 50% completion. At the end of the first half, Carson Beck threw for about 246. He's 13 to 21, uh, no touchdowns, no picks. Vandegrift did not look great to be honest. Um, I don't love Vandegrift's throwing motion right now. Now, I could have been just kind of nitpicking on that, but he moves the ball too far back out behind his body like that, and then it's too slow coming forward. But Vandegrift can run, and he showcased that very well in this game. He moves outside of the pocket, and he runs with power. He runs like he means it. I'm talking about a Tim Tebow-type quarterback threat outside of the pocket. And he's got a great arm, just needs to improve on his deep ball accuracy. So at the end of the game, Stetson ended up with about 273 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. And again, just taking unnecessary risks. And that's something that you can see Stetson do a lot this past season and where he might have gotten bailed out by really good receiver play, blown coverages, what have you, Stetson takes risks. And I think that's something that one could also like about him, is that he's not scared to try to make those deep throws and make those big plays, because he's done it, but not. he hasn't always done it with great efficiency. And I know that's weird to say, because he ranks 
third in the nation in quarterback rating last year. But I'm telling you, just don't look at the box stats. Go back and watch Stetson's film, and you'll see what I'm talking about, where he's just trying to force throws and make plays where it's not necessary. So here are my kind of standouts for the offense, guys that I thought really popped off the screen and were making an impact on their respective team. Roderick Jones uh, playing the left tackle for the black team. Arian Smith was healthy. He was playing receiver for the red team, made a couple of deep catches, and he's just absurdly fast, absurdly fast. One of those guys where you tell him to run in a straight line and catch the ball at the end of it. Carson Beck had an awesome, awesome throw to Arian Smith pretty early on in that G-Day game. Eric Gilbert is a unicorn. Guys, I don't think you understand. It should be against the Geneva Convention for Georgia to run 13 personnel. By 13 personnel, I mean that's three tight ends on the field with Eric Gilbert, Darnell Washington, and Brock Bowers. That's not fair. It truly isn't because all three of those guys can move. They're long. They're tough. They're powerful. They can play on the end of the line. They can play outside. They can play in the slot. There was this bunch formation on G-Day where Eric Gilbert, Marcus Roseme, and maybe Kiaris were all bunched up together. How do you guard that? How do you guard that? What are you going to do? Put You're going to have to double Eric Gilbert because there's no linebackers that are quick enough to stay with him, and there are no defensive backs that are big enough to out-muscle him. He just looked very good, very excited to see him on the field in the fall. My other offensive standouts, the whole running back room. Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, Savon Clark, Dejon Edwards, everybody looked great. Like I said, much more focused on the passing game in this G-Day. We were not running behind the offensive line too terribly much. We weren't shoving it up the middle, throwing to the running backs out of the backfield a lot. Kendall Milton had an awesome touchdown catch where he caught the ball about 30, 40-ish yards down the field and ran it in. Expect Kendall Milton to kind of take on that Zeus role and Kenny McIntosh to kind of take on that James Cook role. Now that's relative because each guy has their own set of traits and things they're good at and things they're not as good at. But Kenny McIntosh is going to get him some touches. I can tell you that right now. Go ahead and mark it down. Todd Munkin is going to give Kenny McIntosh the ball I'd say at least 150 times, more likely closer to 200 times this fall. And that's a lot for a Georgia running back. You might be sitting there hearing that and thinking, oh, well, so-and-so carried it 250. That doesn't happen at Georgia. We are a running back room by committee type of school. And that's one thing I love about our offense because we're sending running backs to the league with not as many miles on those legs and they're ready to go. So Carson Beck, was probably my favorite quarterback out of all three. I thought that he stood well in the pocket, showed great poise under pressure, and he was getting the ball out of his hand very quick. That was a couple of things that stood out to me about Carson Beck. Gunnar Stockton also played a couple of downs for the red team, I believe, and didn't really do much. He had one very long overthrow, but it's very hard to you know, give a good analysis 
on less than five snaps. You know what I mean? So I'm not even going to go too far into the Gunner Stockton talk. Dominique Blaylock back and healthy. Very exciting to see for this offense. He's going to make you think Jermaine Burton, who he looked great making plays all over the field. Oscar Delp is the newest addition to this tight end university type situation we got going on right here. Big, physical, good hands, making plays down the field. A great guy that's going to run those inside routes between the hashes. And then one of my favorite newcomers, early enrollee, Ernest Green from Bellflower, California. Five-star offensive guard, but they had him playing tackle on that red team offensive line. Honestly, due to a bunch of injuries and the fact that Amarius Mims did not play in the G-Day game. Standout for the defense. Now, a couple of these are just going to be some no-brainers. Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter are going to be a force to be reckoned with this fall. Jalen Carter, dare I say, could be better than Jordan Davis. And that's saying something. That's no knock to my man, JD99. My man's about to go top 20 in the NFL draft. But Jalen Carter is a freak show. You pair that kind of force in the middle that is going to consistently eat up two, even three blockers in the middle with a guy like Nolan Smith on the outside, Nolan's going to have a big year. I think he'll go for at least 10 sacks this year. He will have the season that Georgia fans have been wanting out of Nolan Smith his entire career at Georgia, where he is our sack leader and he's, you know, leading in statistics and first round pick. Now, Nolan Smith, I think, did himself a huge favor by coming back to Georgia this year. Because to be honest, if he had gone in this class, not knocking on Nolan's ability, but this edge rusher class in this draft is so deep that Nolan Smith probably would have slid to the third round. And so I'm very excited that we're going to get another good year out of him and looking forward to him going in the first round in the 2023 draft. Another one of my favorite newcomers is Dalen Everett. He is wearing number six. He was playing cornerback for the black team. Early enrollee looked great out there. Uh, several plays I caught him staying in stride with a couple of the red receivers. Thought he did a great job. And then my next two guys were Ingram Dawkins and Dumas Johnson. Two guys that were playing for the red team defense and play just lights out, to be totally honest. Dumas Johnson looked very good in that depleted inside linebacker room. And I had a couple notes about guys that didn't necessarily disappoint, but maybe I expected a little more out of. That was Brock Vandegrift. I already discussed uh, what I didn't like about his G-Day the red O-line was giving up a lot of pressures. And again, that red O-line consisted of, now I did not get the left guard because I was trying to just pay attention to the ball, pay attention to where people were. Ernest Green was playing a left, task, left tackle, Blask at center, Fairchild at right guard, and Wilson at right tackle. Now again, they were rolling up against Warren Brinson, Nazir Stackhouse, and Sean Washington. And I thought those three did a great job on the interior. So my final 
guy that I thought needed a little bit of improvement was Ja'Cory Thomas, early enrollee, playing safety for the black team. Just very young guy. Very young guy. Uh, his first appearance in the red and black. So take that for what you will. Uh, interesting stats from the G-Day game. We had 10 passes of 20-plus yards, which is very good. 15 different receivers caught the ball. So they were moving it around, getting the ball to their playmakers. Kirby, they did exactly what Kirby wanted to do, which is work on the explosive passing game, didn't show too much else. So that's all the notes I have for G-Day. And one final topic I wanted to discuss was this tweet that I saw that said, Georgia fans, what do you expect out of Stetson Bennett in the 2022 season? And so that really got me thinking, Stetson needs to go out there and be Stetson. And what I mean by that is get out there, limit turnovers, play efficient, and distribute the ball to your playmakers. Don't force throws down the field. Know when to scramble. If we're talking about stats-wise, if Stetson Bennett throws for 3,200 yards, over 30 touchdowns, keeps the picks under 10, Georgia is right back in that national championship conversation, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Now, I know that Stetson Bennett has his haters. I love Stetson Bennett. I do not love Stetson Bennett because he has a huge arm. I do not love Stetson Bennett because he's a great runner or he has this NFL prototype body or I think he's going first rounder or I think he's going to win a Heisman or this award or that award or throw for 4,500 yards, 50 touchdowns. That's not Stetson. I love Stetson because that man is a damn good dog. He will go down as one of the damnedest, goodest dogs in all of history. And I say that because he bleeds red and black Georgia football had the opportunity to go anywhere when he went to JUCO, or I mean, had opportunity to go anywhere after he left JUCO in Mississippi, came back to Georgia, easily could have transferred out after the 2020 season when it seemed inevitable that JT Daniels was going to take over that starting role in the 2021 season, which he did. But man, there's just something about him. He's a winner. He's gutsy. He's got panache. He's got that X factor that you can't describe. It's not going to show up in recruiting star rankings. It's not going to show up on stat boards. You're not going to see it in the box score. Stetson just loves Georgia. And if you're a Georgia fan and you don't love Stetson, you don't have to think he's going to win the Heisman. You don't have to sit here and, you know, blow things out of proportion and say that, He's better than Bryce Young because he beat him in the national championship. He's not. Bryce Young is a more talented, physically talented quarterback that is going to get drafted probably number one in the 2023 draft. That's not Stetson. He's not going to be an NFL guy, but he is a Georgia guy through and through. Stetson, in the off chance you ever hear this, I love you, brother. That will be it for coming down the tracks today. Hopefully one of these next episodes, we can get my man Lantron Wainwright back on another damn good dog. But that is all for now. Take care. Brush your hair.